I love the generative moment in a really engaging conversation when the world falls away and you forget time and place. I've had listening as a secret superhero power for as long as I can remember. I think listening helps build a great conversation and real listening is done with an open curiosity and very little of your own agenda. It may sound easy, but it can be really hard to do. I like to make connections between ideas and people. It's just the way my brain works. Why do we connect with other human beings? I think it's part of the hierarchy of needs. Comfort, connection, community. I've always been uncomfortable with the question, what do you do? I don't equate what you do with who you are. We all have multiple interests, passions, families, backstories, and futurescapes that make us who we are. Every interaction changes us, some in big and some in small ways. I hope this podcast changes you. Nate Bay Cupel is currently the director of youth programs for Youth Build Just to Start in Cambridge, a board member for Boston Post Adoption Resources, commissioner with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts Asian American and Pacific Islander Commission, and former Ward 8 City Council candidate here in Malden. Wow, that was like a lot for me to get out tonight. Maybe I've just had too much coffee. Hi, Nate. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Thank you so much for your generosity and agreeing to sit down and talk. Yeah, um, absolutely. I know we talked offline, was it last week or the week? It was before the holidays. Yeah, it's all blending together a little bit. I know. Get to the end of the year. So you were a former Ward 8 City Council candidate member. That's sort of how we connected. Um, I did vote for you. And, <laughs> Thank you. And that's full disclosure. And um, um, so how long have you lived in the city of Malden? Uh, I've lived here for about five years. Mm-hmm. Yep, in the same place up Ward 8 <laughs> on the hill, yep. um, the Highland Village area. So you've seen the community change since you've been here because I've been here about the same amount of time. Yeah, I, yeah, I have. I mean, it is, it's it's kind of wild to me to see how fast the city changes yeah. <laughs> in, in really only a few years or so right. um, from businesses to developments to the community um, uh, and all the things that are going on here. So, yeah. Right. And everybody, I'm sure you got asked this question a lot during the campaign, but what was it about politics and specifically local that really wanted you, energized you to get involved and want to run for office? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that... And stay involved in politics, because I know you're not out of politics (laughs) just because you didn't win the seat this time. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's, it's a number of different things. I... I mean, my background is really, professionally really, is around mission-driven work. Um, I've worked in nonprofits and the public sector and private sector even, but all focused really on mission-driven work from um, healthcare access to um, youth empowerment and job training, workforce development, um, to clinical social work. Mm -hmm. And really, you know, um, the thing that I enjoy about all of my unique work experiences is how, I mean, I guess the, the, the best way to kind of put it is how m- mirroring experiences with other people, the things that 
um, bring you together, the things that you find commonality around, how, um, how it's almost an intervention mm. um, for social change. And that's something that I've seen with the youth work that, that I do currently, where young people um, are, you know, a, a lot of the youth that we serve um, at Youth Build are um, disengaged from the traditional school system for a variety of different reasons. Um, and being in a space with others who have similar stories, similar backgrounds, similar um, challenges and barriers can be really healing. Yeah. Uh, and I think I saw that probably from the beginning of my career when I kind of started um, working as a researcher in the Asian American community and even getting involved with um, uh, Boston Korean adoptees and nonprofit for adult Korean adoptees mm-hmm. um, just really felt and saw how sharing a story with someone can be really transformative um, and I've carried that throughout all of my work and at least here I think in in Malden was this feeling of how um, disconnected people can feel um, in in a city like ours. Um, as much as we are connected, how disconnected we can feel because of language barriers, because of um, institutional barriers. Um, there's so many reasons. And, you know, I never really considered myself um, a politician or really wanting to go into <laughs> politics ever, but... Um, I think it kind of came at a time in my life where I was feeling with the, with the pandemic, with um, so much going on, um, with really examining the impact of racism across the country. Yeah. Um, I just felt, you know, this was the time uh, I felt motivated really to um, connect people right, to, right. Um, to do this kind of work. Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of the long, circuitous path, but that's kind of, I yeah. think, how that all weaves together a bit. Now, it's a perfect um, a couple of themes that I have found through this season of the podcast is it's creating connections through conversation, creating community through conversation. And that idea of mirroring experiences or finding commonalities um, when we do feel disconnected, it's um, what you're saying, I hear you also being um, approaching curiosity with kindness, with empathy, but also being like, well, why not me? Like, why not me stepping up and challenging status quo? Why not me, you know, having, you have, you have something to say in the community because you're a part of the community. Um, I just had this long conversation with a, uh, a friend and a colleague. She and I are trying to, dream scheme some sort of project together around leadership and uh, another friend who was on the podcast previously jessica smith has a consulting organization so it's all us three white women talking about uh, diversity inclusion and equity um, but like flip trying to flip leadership on its head and say we've all inherited this white paradigm male paradigm of what leadership's supposed to look like why can't we, you know, drive home compassion? Why can't leadership be people of color and more women and different voices and, and different ideas of what that le- leading means? Mm-hmm. And not always like it being a top-down thing, but like you can 
I, I don't know, this is our theory, that you can lead by sitting beside and listening rather than always superimposing your own ideas onto. Like you had, like as a candidate, you had to have ideas about how you wanted to approach things. But I hear your perhaps personality and training coming <laughs> into how you wanted to approach your candidacy and things you want to do in your community that you are doing in your community, just not as a as our counselor. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. I mean, um, there's so many forms of leadership. I think that um, we have a real sort of dominant narrative of what leadership yes. looks like because yes. of the kinds of leaders that we see in our lives every day. And there's room for so many more kinds, so many more right. styles. And um, I mean, that w my last my last job was I actually worked at a leadership development organization oh, wow. um, for nonprofit leaders. And yes. it so tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, it was called the Institute for Nonprofit Practice. Um, and the organization, um, the whole mission was to, um, to train and to connect more women and leaders of color to advance to um, executive level leadership uh, roles mm -hmm. across the sector because um, there's a lack thereof right. <laughs> of, that rep of representation of women and people of color in those roles. And right. not because they're not, um, or we're not, you know, qualified or talented or have the experience, um, but because of some of these dominant narratives that, right. you know, they're, they're unconscious. They're not necessarily conscious right. in terms of how hiring patterns go. Um, but you know, that's when you look at the, some of the, the, right. the, uh, the people who are in leadership, um, that's, it's, it's something that I think that we're, that I was really passionate about, um, helping to kind of move the needle on. Um, yes. And I absolutely agree. You know, there's a lot of forms of leadership, especially when you think about government. You think about kind of a dominant idea of what a politician should be like or right. how they should interact with people. Right. And that was really something I think that it's funny. I think in the beginning, I, I, I really considered myself not a politician running to be a politician, right? And somebody told me once they said they said the, the moment you 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 decide to, to run, you are a politician. <laughs> and I had to remind myself, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's very true. Um, but you know, one of the things that I I worked really hard on was to make sure that my my own values were really embedded in what I was doing. And right. I mean, that's the other thing too. I think about <clears throat> even a um, award council campaign is that while it is you, the individual who is running, it really does become a collective um, right. effort. And, you know, I always heard politicians say we all the time, we did this or right. we're, we're, we're building this or that. And um, I guess I didn't really feel how authentic that pronoun could be yes. until I got into this and I started um, working with a really incredible group of um, young people on my campaign team yes. and uh, amazing neighbors and community people like you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I did want to compliment you. I felt like your volunteers really represented you and your mission. And then, um, you know, people that I know in the community who are involved in politics kind of stepping up and saying, 
you know, Nate's my can like if I like Nate's our candidate, like vote for Nate. And I appreciated that. Um, it was a it was definitely like a circle that I'm belonging to. But like your door knockers, they were um, they were representative of like they represented you well. That's great. I'm glad so, to hear that. <laughs> so we had positive experience, and I thought your literature was very good too. Oh, like well, thank I, you. And I liked, you know, reading your story. And, like, everybody wants to know, like, I think when anybody shows up in there, well, for me, I uh, approach it with curiosity and not just because of personal curiosity, but, like, who are you, where you come from, meaning, like, not necessarily because you are Asian, where do you come from, but, like, what's your background? Ideologically, yes. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But I appreciated that. Did you have any reservations about having to explain that piece or is that something that you're used to like what which your, piece what your background is um you have a, a what sounds like a, a white last name as well like do you did you feel like you wanted to tell that story or is that like having to explain that in the campaign is that something i, I mean i think it's it's um it's a formative part of my identity so um I, it, it was an important part of the story that I wanted to tell because it yeah. is how I've become who I am. Right, <laughs> right. Um, and it actually, you know, I don't think it necessarily came up as much as I thought it might. I actually thought the same thing in the beginning that that would be something that would come up a lot. Um, yeah. Um, I, I don't think it necessarily came up a whole lot because when you're, you know, when you're going door to door and talking to people, they just they want to know who you are and what what right. you want to do, what, right? Why you want to represent them, and exactly. you know, if you do get to that place where you can have more of a personal relationship and talk about it, um, mm. I mean, that's an important that's an important part of me. So, um, right. Um, I don't, you know, no problems really sharing it uh, because because that's me, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that. Um, and you you guide me in terms of how much you want to get into, um, you know, some of the experiences of racism that you've had in, in our community. You don't have to point to anything specific, but is that do you see do you see Malden changing the narrative, and do you see our our community maybe more accepting of having that conversation or more open to having that kind of conversation? I would say I'm open, and I've learned a lot over COVID, um, and I didn't know what I didn't know, and that was troubling to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but hearing more of people's stories, both nationally and locally, has helped forward my thinking and helped me examine some of my own things. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, I think it's it's a complex question because there are always there are always like parallel processes I think happening mm-hmm. um, when it comes to readiness to have these kinds of conversations. Yes. Um, and so, I don't know if it's necessarily a question of are we ready as a city. I think that part of what makes it so challenging is that it's always. Um, there's always a lot of education that has to continue. And I think the part that's challenging a lot is for 
people of color who have experienced discrimination, who have experienced racism, the it, it can be really challenging to um, sometimes go through some of these experiences again at the expense of education. Yes. I think that's the part yes. that can be really difficult um, and shouldn't be that way uh, necessarily. It shouldn't be um, only up to us to move the needle on change. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think it, it, that's the tough thing is that when we don't have dialogue, um, yes. when we're not connected to each other, yeah. it's really difficult to, to get to that place where people want to um, actually be curious and, and want to learn and understand somebody else's perspective. And I think we're coming out of a really politically divisive time yes. in our country where that is really rife with um, fear of, of, of people. Right. Yeah, it, I think you just hit on what I was going to say is that it, it's hard to establish that trust. And if we don't have a base or a foundation of communication, we don't understand. We, I think our minds kind of automatically jump to assigning um, thoughts and feelings to things and ascribing to what they think the other person is saying to us. Mm -hmm. um, and we, f I think we fear judgment. We fear um, oh, I might say or do the wrong thing or maybe I have said or done the wrong thing. Um, and... Again, the conversation I had, was having earlier with the ladies I was talking to, we're talking about processing things in affinity spaces, mm -hmm. which is um, um, sounds like, you know, new agey kind of whatever, but it is true. Like having people who look and sound like you and have had similar experiences going and processing those things, even for people of privilege, is really important because we can, we can challenge each other in ways that sometimes we have that base of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband and I talk frequently about, like, you know, he's a tall white guy. And the things that, the attention that gets paid to him in, in situations where I'm like, you know, if I, if I didn't try to do that, people would give me a hard time. <laughs> mm -hmm. But we still have privilege from that, mm -hmm. you know, we may not have privilege and wealth from that, but privilege is a different kind of a right. thing. Right. Yep. So that's really, yeah. It, the, the conversation is, I think it's so necessary. It can be hard, mm -hmm. but growth is hard. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, change is hard. That's the thing. I think change is scary and hard for a lot of people. Absolutely. I mean, myself included. It's, yeah. you know, um, and that's, I think that's the, the fear, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it can be really difficult to imagine something different than what you're used to or um, are experiencing. And, you know, if you don't have that curiosity to want to know another experience, um, it makes it really difficult to kind of move in unison towards something. Yeah. Um, uh, but the trust thing is really critical. And I think that that's something that I'm hopeful that we, we're working towards here in Malden. Um, one, of, uh, one of my favorite authors, Adrienne Marie Brown, she has this quote about moving at the speed of trust, which I think is just I like- I love that. Uh, I mean, it's such a strong um, 
sort of, I don't know, guiding wisdom for how relationships, um, whether it's person to person, communities need to be um, thinking about. And I know that, I mean, trust is something that's not, it takes a long time. It's hard. Um, we have a lot of reasons to not trust each other as well. Um, And I think that's hard. I think that's hard right now. It's, um, so I do some work as a mediator and um, trust is always the largest factor, but sometimes you only have an hour or two with two parties who immediately come in and don't trust the other person. They're in a legal situation, so there's that automatic distrust. So we try... As media, I was, I'm in a co-mediation model, so we try and model that and model the communication and set some structure to what things get talked about. But it's always interesting because um, you can move forward in disagreement. You can move forward in communication even with distrust. And, th- and then sometimes there's even... Um, agreement that happens through that, which always I find very um, magical. Mm -hmm. Um, But people always think that sometimes we have to have this perfection to be able to move forward. But people just want to be heard. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it does take a third party to validate, and then you can can start to process. So in... You know, I wonder sometimes in these difficult conversations that we need to have in our personal lives and in, you know, our communities, um, if we can just sort of take a deep breath and and dig deep and have a little courage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, where do you think some of your internal values growing up came from? Like, what was your experience? Uh, I mean, I think it, it's largely from my family, um, my, my parents, who were always, you know, pushing me to, I think, see the good in everybody, uh, that there's good everywhere. And that um, and that's something I think more so now uh, in this past year, I think. My, my mom passed away a little over a year ago, and, and that was one of the, sort of the lasting mm. um impressions that she left me with was this kind of desire to always see that good and the I'm sorry she sounds very special yeah she is Um, and um, that has really kind of influenced the way I kind of carry my the work the the mission work that I do Um, it's not easy (laughs) not easy seeing good in everybody and um, because there's so much, I think that we get very good at, um, labeling people and then kind yes. of keeping them in that label forever. <laughs> it's really easy if that makes sense to kind of, and I, I think it's part of, part of our nature. We, we want to understand things. And so we categorize whether we want, yes. Yes. whether it's for the better or for worse. Um, and it's very difficult to see shades of gray. Um, yeah. Once, <laughs> once we've kind of made this decision that right. this is an other, right, or this is somebody who's not like me, or this is somebody yeah. who's like me, you know, um, so that value I think um, has been something that's been really important to me, and also just listening. Um, both my parents are really good listeners, um, 
And I mean, I don't think it's any surprise that when it, uh, you know I decided to go to social work school, which is a, <laughs> just a field about listening yes, and yes. reflecting um, for other people. Are they in that field? Um, no, they're not. They're not. Um, my dad is. Um, uh, my dad is in healthcare. He does uh, marketing and consulting work for nonprofit hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we, neither of my parents were. Um, in social work, really, it was really kind of the, and, and you know, the, I think the other thing, maybe the other value would, I'd say is um, really trusting yourself to mm. um, to follow your passion. Yeah. And I mean, early on, it was music. <laughs> music oh, was really? my. I actually went to college for um, jazz performance. Oh, so you did. What instrument do you play? Drums. Oh. So my, my husband's a drummer. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the best uh, instrument f- for uh, holding down uh, friendly neighbors, <laughs> um, r- relationships with friendly our neighbors. Landlords, uh, <laughs> our landlords, our good friends are also musicians, and the um, the wife is a drummer and other kinds of percussion. And um, so, yeah, no, everybody, we got a lot of musical instruments in our basement. <laughs> a lot. That's great. Um, he plays in a band that is a original um, pop rock music, and then he at times had uh, a blues band. And then his brother is a, um, he has his own trio, and then he also is a duo with um, his girlfriend. So Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's um, doesn't surprise me, I think. <laughs> I think <laughs> I feel like musicians have this kind of sensitivity and I mean it's all about listening music is about listening and responding and that's what I loved about jazz was it it was like social work music it was like you're listening to others and responding and having a conversation and um I love that sort of create creative aspect of it I don't do as much anymore unfortunately I was gonna ask if you still played (laughs) I don't really I I mean I still have all my equipment it's just kind of it's been one of those things that um drums while I love doing it, when you're not in a band, it's not as much fun. <laughs> yeah, Matt, he's the same way. He doesn't like to practice solo. He has, you know, he has a practice pad and sticks and stuff, um, but he does not like, he likes the live, yeah. uh, organic incorporation, looking at the bassist, following the music. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> That's his thing, too. That's funny. Do you... Um, do you have other musicians in your life? Do you like friends or other family that are players as well? Well, I mean, my youngest brother is a phenomenal pianist and vocalist. Um, and I like to think that I influenced him, <laughs> his <laughs> musical genius, um, being the oldest sibling. Yeah. Um, um, not as much anymore. I mean, I think I used to a lot when I played a lot more out of college. Um, I was in a jazz group for a little while, a hip-hop group for a little while. Um, I did um, uh, pit bands for small local theater companies for a little while. Oh, that's – so you can you um, can read and write music. Yes, yep. Um, and I was a um, – I did sound design for a little while, doing like writing commercial jingles and sound effects for oh, that's so cool stuff like that. So, music and kind of the creative um, creativity has always 
continued as kind of a thread <laughs> in yeah. my life in different it, ways. It is funny that um, you said that drumming is like musical social work. It really <laughs> is like, like um, I, what I've observed at least, because um, I'm not, I don't play, I'm, don't sing. Um, I'm a writer, um, but I've always been involved with music, and I booked and um, managed bands at one point in my life, and did um, musical PR for a while. Um, my husband, I see them drummers being that kind of center and like really working to make sure like all pieces are set properly. Like they they the they're the ones that set the table. <laughs> yeah. And then and it is sort of a family too. You know, it's dysfunctional at times or <laughs> you know, not maybe optimally functioning or communicating at times. We won't say dysfunction. I don't like that word. Um, did you find, um, I'm going to totally segue and you can, again, lead me if this is too far in a different direction, but I'm always curious when people talk about their family of origin and the, so you get biological traits, but I think you also get personality traits because we've, we know that there's certain things that get transmitted through our DNA. Are there things that you discovered about yourself when you traced your, biological family that you found like oh so and so is this and i have that <laughs> similar tra like was there things that you discovered about yourself when you started that a, a little bit yeah i think personality of my my birth family for sure um my mom is is a buddhist and um you know there's i think just from a values and personality standpoint, we're very similar. Um, same with my sister, my half sister, my half sister um, and brother. Um, I, you know, I think it's it's hard when you're when you're as an adopted person. Um, you kind of make these stories in your mind uh, until you get to that place of actually knowing and, and meeting them. And mm -hmm. if you have, if you're lucky enough to be able to be reunited with them, to understand and learn um, and hear from, from them and um, about their experiences. But, you know, I think it's, it, it's such a, it's a, it's a really difficult thing because I remember when I first met my birth mother thinking like, this is going to be this transformational moment. It's going to be, you yeah. know, everything that happened before this moment and then everything that's after. And, yeah. and in a lot of ways it was true, but in a lot of ways it was also meeting a stranger that I had to develop a new relationship right. with, even right. though she gave birth to me. Right, um, right. And it's taken a long time and many trips back and forth to Korea and, <laughs> um, and them visiting and, um, to kind of establish even a little bit of relationship. Right. And even that is difficult because, uh, you know, I can't speak Korean. Yeah, um, I was going to ask if you spoke the language. No, I don't. Um, I've tried a few times, but um, fortunately my sister is fluent in English. She lives in Vancouver, so my half-sister. So she, when we're doing family Zooms or right, right. <laughs> meeting in person, she helps do a lot of translation work. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't think... I don't think we, my mom and I necessarily look alike. Mm. I, w I think I was looking for that when I first met her. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm going to see this mirror. It's going to look exactly yeah, like me. Yeah. And, um, not as much. I mean, um, I have this photo somewhere on my phone of 
we were walking on the beach in Busan, where I was born, where um, and and where my mom, um, uh, where my mom lives, and we were walking, and and our feet were like exactly the same size and looked exactly <laughs> the same, and I just took a photo of it, and you know, it was it's kind of funny, but you know, sometimes when I'm um, kind of sharing my story a little bit, I show that photo and people are like, what is, why are you showing feet? And, and yeah. I have to explain like, this is the first time I ever saw anything that looked like me um, yeah. where I could say this person is biologically related to me. <laughs> yep. And this was the first thing I noticed was her, her feet. Yeah. <laughs> that That's really significant. Yeah. I love that. Um, growing up, I had for a long time, I don't even know if they still exist, but my mom's hands are the same as mine. So my left is like her right and my right is like her left. Mm -hmm. And we took pictures. <laughs> we did like a photocopy. Uh -huh. We snuck in somewhere and she, she was a teacher for a very long time. We take hand pictures. And then my mom has dementia, so she wasn't able to be at my wedding. And um, we took her wedding band and we put pieces of her wedding band in our wedding bands. Oh, that's great. So that's she was, beautiful. and then we did a slideshow of people who couldn't be with us either because they had died or because, like my mom, she just couldn't be there. And we would have been too, um, too much for her and too much for my dad who's still alive and very, very functioned, very high functioning and very healthy and with it. Um, so she was still a part of it, and I, um, I, um, I had the ring that had her pieces of in there, and then there was pictures of her side of the family and my dad's side of the family. So, mm -hmm. and then my parents' best friends, who are another couple, my that um, met around the same time my parents did. My mother's friend from college, they were there. So, mm -hmm. we had other matriarchs <laughs> doing stand-ins well so it was lovely but it's a it's a significant thing to look around even though we don't want to put people in boxes but to see that affinity and and see someone who looks like us and know that that's that biological trait mm -hmm. that's very significant yeah yep um i was going to ask you um after the campaign, have you felt like you've had time to decompress or is it just still been in, into the next thing for you in terms of being involved in the conversation here in Malden? Um, I've started. <laughs> I've started to decompress. Um, it's there's just so much that happened. I mean, there, there I we know. just we worked really hard and I mean, I'm really proud of, of all the work we did and um, you know, I'm I'm I um I'm definitely still processing. I think the experience, yeah, the um, the lessons learned, yep, um, the experience of, I mean, you know, it's I mean the experience of knocking on doors is very humbling. <laughs> I would bet <laughs> to strangers, um, and sometimes multiple times, and people who don't want to talk with you or are not interested, um. You know, there's so much, um, there is so much that you kind of learn and experience. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think I, I learned a lot. I grew a lot. Um, and I really do hope that I can still stay involved, still yeah. stay, um, do something that can be impactful for the city. Um, Absolutely. And, um, 
you know, whether that's another run in a few years or just continuing um, to to do and advocate for some of the work here in Malden that I think is important. Um, you know, I'm I'm still very much committed to that and, and trying to find, I think, the right way to do it with, right. you know, being back at work and work full time and right, um, right. and everything else. But yeah, you it's a small, work in progress. You have small kids too, don't you? No, I don't. I oh. don't have any kids, no. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I don't know why I was picturing you with, with children. I, I may be like looking at another flyer in my head. <laughs> um, do you have dog children? Dog children. No dog children. I have a, <laughs> we have a cat, a cat child, cat daughter. Yeah. <laughs> we made it into one of our campaign flyers, I think, too. Okay. One All right. Well. Maybe, you, maybe you saw us holding their cat like a, like a small child. And you, you... Do you dress the cat up for Christmas or <laughs> We holidays? don't go that far. Okay. No, no, we don't. Okay. <laughs> Mainly just because she wouldn't tolerate that. You know, putting yeah. on an outfit. I have a dog, dog child, and he... Um, he gets dressed up. He gets dressed up reluctantly as well. So I, I, met, I met your your dog child when I was <laughs> knocking on Artie. doors. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> He's very friendly. He has very big and um, kind of goofy, so he can be he can be scary to people because he is so large. Yeah. And people never know just because of a breed that it's gonna react a certain way. And you would think we always think people know that greyhounds are like big goops and no nobody's ever really they're not aggressive they have loud loud barks but i'm sure door knocking and we know one of another person who was running for office who got bit by a yeah, dog yeah, so yeah. um i'm sure he was but he, you had a positive experience with arnie <laughs> yeah, I did, okay I did. good <laughs> that's good to know he likes the pizza man a lot too so <laughs> i like the pizza man a lot too so i mean <laughs> So um, what do you do when you're not working and not thinking about serious subjects? What do you do for fun? Oh, wow. Um, well, uh, my wife and I like hiking a lot. We we actually just went to um, New Hampshire, the White Mountains, a oh, couple nice. weeks ago. Um, it was great just to get out of the city um, hiking. It's something I think I've kind of adopted later in my life. She's yep. always been kind of outdoorsy and yep. likes that kind of stuff. But I think more so now, I, I kind of feel this, it, it just, it's grounding, I think, to just kind Absolutely. of get out of your daily routine and just remember that you're a living, breathing animal. Absolutely. <laughs> in, in, this, in this world that we live in. Um, and so that's been really nice. And I, I used to run a lot too. I haven't, not as much during the campaign season, but mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, I like running a lot too over at the Breakheart Reservation. Oh That's yeah, definitely. We take places. the dog over there. Yeah. He he can't make it the whole way around. That greyhounds are not distance, um, and he's an older. He's getting older, but yeah. he um, he likes at least to go about halfway. So. Well, there, there's some hilly parts over there too. Yeah. If you do absolutely. the loop. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what are you reading these days? Uh, let's see. I'm reading. Um, uh, I just started this. Uh, what is it called? The Sum of Us, I think, or the Sum of Us, or the Sum of All of Us, I think. I'll have to look this up later. <laughs> I just started because it's um, at work. We have a book club, and it's specifically a, a book about um, the legacy of racism in this yeah. country. Yeah. Do you have any um, Asian writers or filmmakers or artists that you gravitate towards mm. that you'd like to make a shout out to? 
Oh, geez. Um, I feel like this is probably going to be a follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> this is like one of those moments where you're telling somebody about some photo that you took, um, and you're like, I have to show them, and then you start trying to find it, and yes. you can't find it on your yes, phone, you yes. just, and you just keep spinning your wheels. Um, you, no, can I, al- you can always um, email me after the fact, too. That I work with someone who helps me do social media, and, sure. and she'll be like, oh, these are some of the places or people that – that Nate suggests. So yeah, if it comes to you after the fact, you can always send them to me. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe the most recent one, the most recent book that I really enjoyed was a book called minor feelings. Have you heard of that book? Um, I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head, but was a, it's a really, I mean, very poignant, very, um, uh, about the, the Asian American experience. Um, Kathy Park Hong. Yes, that's that's the one. Um, there's there's a lot there. I mean, there's not one, of course, not one Asian American experience, but no. um, it's a very it's very well written. It's like it just it um, it's hard to read too because it's painful. Some of the mm. the, the things that um, Kathy experienced in uh, in um, that is written about but i really enjoyed it um i can't even remember how i how i found the book but that's i think one of the more recent ones yeah there's just so many there's so many or incredible writers you and i talked about this offline the idea that the asian american community is a monolith mm-hmm. and it's the most diverse community like asia like yeah. people forget what that landmass means yeah. mm-hmm. And that, um, uh, you know, just my direct involvement with an organization that does the Silk Road Gala and that steering committee, you know, being one of two white women on that steering committee to do some public relations for for the gala. And, you know, being, I don't know why I didn't know that, like, okay, so there's, you know, Southeast Asia. There can be. Indian or Malaysian or Singaporean or and then there's Chinese and then there's Japanese and then there's some um, hierarchy and snobbery potentially or around ethnic minorities and all of yes and then Mm -hmm. and then you know even in China there's um, so I'm correct me if I'm wrong if you know more that two major languages or two major dialects is it dialects, languages? Oh, were you thinking of like Mandarin and Cantonese? Yeah. 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 So, and then there's like of regional dialects. Yep. Mm-hmm. dialects and, um, and one may not know the other. And then if you don't know what's considered to be the mainstay language, then somehow you're, you know, lower down on the um, hierarchy or caste systems or yep. whatever. Yep. Um, or if um, you have... A mix. Everyone has a mixture, but especially in Asia, because people moved around so much, you may have some ethnicity that is not. Especially if you're Chinese, you may have some Vietnamese or some other ethnicity in there, and then then that's further considered further down because you're not considered pure. Mm-hmm. Like and so there's the like um, American. America does that. Well, I mean, I think everybody does. I mean, I think it's part of the, the natural inclination to find, who, like, 
who where you belong in society. Right. And we do it in a lot of destructive ways. Right. Um, you're talking about the caste system. Um, actually, that have you read Caste? Um, that's another great book. <laughs> See, you're recommending all the good books. No, yeah. I haven't. Okay. Um, explaining the caste system. I mean, it's it's so complex and. Um, but I mean, it's what we do. I mean, we, yes. we find ways to make sense of who we are by creating others yes. around us. Right. I mean, yeah. it's a history of colonialism and <laughs> the Absolutely. history of how, right. And I mean, even just the way we speak our accents, the, you know, regionally in the U S yes. we have different accents that we ascribe meaning to, um, Absolutely. to, you know, the way we dress, you know, there are all these things, right? There's the, there's a very subtle thing in Malden. People want to know what neighborhood you're close to. Yeah. (laughs) Did you know that? Yeah. I mean, people, like people want to know, I mean, when I, on the campaign show, that was something, where do you, where do you live? Like what what part is, yeah. Yeah. So, and then, um, knowing that all the different neighborhoods in Malden have to do with trees, Mm -hmm. um, which I find really interesting or that like, Linden is, um, you know, the part that I live near is on the line. Yep. So we're close to a bus stop. We're close to sort of like a heavy transit area. Mm -hmm. We're not far from the Squire. We don't, you know, claim that's not our claim to fame, but it is a large landmark. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But that that has some some meaning to it, I think. I like to know which neighborhoods people are from because then that helps me visualize the city. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily have different cachet for me other than I'm I'm not a native Maldonian. My husband is and my one of my neighbors is. So they have different senses and ideas of what Mald and they'll they love coming down here and being like, Do you remember when Filene's was and then remember when it wasn't closed off and then it was open again and then it, you know. That kind of thing. I, I mean, I, that was something I really enjoyed about meeting people who've lived here their whole lives or families mm-hmm. of generations have lived here was just kind of like almost seeing this regressive like time lapse in the past of, yes. of what <laughs> things that were in the past that are no longer like the Granada apartments, how there was a bowling yes. alley, how there was, yes. you know, restaurant, I think, in there and um, uh, like things like that I found really interesting. Um, just kind of interesting to just kind of imagine how the history kind of informed <laughs> these communities and pockets of Absolutely. how they how they were created and established. When we started thinking about promoting the um, the the book by Joy Harjo, I I started to become more interested to know who were the Native Americans that lived in this area. What were their names? Like, what was the name of the tribe? And um, Someone explained this better than I, but that um, there's a, a different word description. So the it's the nip nip uh, niptuck or nim nimuk um, were specific to the Mald- Malden River area, and then the Massasoit were sort of sort of the regional name for lots of different types of Indian, lots of different not tribes, but and whatever that word is, I'll get it right. Um, and but I didn't know any of that. And like the idea that we want to incorporate, especially with this book, some of that language and some of those folks in our conversation about the book and um, and 
see what their interpretation of some of her work is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just talking about, like, did you ever do any songwriting? A little bit, yeah. Um, uh, most, I, I mean, yeah. I, I, more recently, not as much, but um, in music school and maybe in the last, like, six or seven years or so, I've done a little bit here and there just by myself with, you know, keyboard because mm-hmm. piano was actually the first instrument I learned. So oh. um, that's how I, I write is on piano. Oh, cool. Yeah. But I think that songs are poetry. Yeah, yeah. And um, songs are expression of feelings, they're expression of moments. They're, you know, as as songwriters or poets or writers, we're observers. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to to a certain extent want to listen or observe Um, and that's where the creative stuff comes from where would you like to see Malden go Mm. what are your what are your wishes for Malden (laughs) Uh, that's a difficult one Um, I think I think a, a, um, a community that takes listening to each other um, as the sort of building blocks for how we we advance the needs and services and um, of of the city I think it's um, you know we're constantly changing but I mean Malden it just is, has changed so much I mean just with the, the census coming out this past year you know yep. like we've we've changed and grown a lot and um, do you think we have changed fatigue Meaning, what do you mean by change fatigue? So change fatigue is a phenomenon that if there's too much change over a short period of time, mm-hmm. people haven't had the chance to process and catch up with it. And, and they were finding a lot with COVID because of shutdown and so much change in a short period of time. People's uh, attention spans were changing, uh, how they could take in information, new information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They were too saturated. Yep. Um, and I wonder sometimes, like I know some of the change has been physical, like different buildings and um, traffic patterns and new people and, you know, potentially more needs or new needs or, you know, mm-hmm. that I wonder if we suffer a little bit from change fatigue. Maybe, but I mean, I think it, it it's um, what I what I felt or noticed was kind of the invisibility of a lot of people who don't, you know, who don't speak the language, who don't speak English, who are immigrants, who have not felt included necessarily yeah. in that their needs have been included in, in the city to yeah. the point where, you know, why would they want to, to vote, you know, in a, yes. in a city election if their needs aren't being represented? Um, and so I think, I mean, there's, there probably is the change fatigue and there's probably also... I mean, we we haven't, I think, as a city, found a way to really connect and engage um, yeah. everyone here and the people who really need support. Um, you know, I th- I think that's part of the the listening and learning is you know right. figuring out you know how do we make a more inclusive city where um, people can see their needs met um, by the city um, who can. Um, take advantage of the services in, in a language that they understand. Um, 
I mean, there, I think there's a lot of those things, but I think, I think it's definitely this feeling of, you know, invisibility that there, that there's a lot of people here in the city that to represent and not everyone is used to, um, feeling included. And I think the, the inclusion piece is definitely something that's really important to me that we as a city find a way to reach out and, and make sure that we're listening and, and saying, we're here for you. We're, you're part of the city too. Um, and we want to make sure that we can do, um, we can, we can make changes that are good for you and your families. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough because we, um, uh, listening skills are, not everyone has them Mm -hmm. and we get caught up in reaction or in interpreting what we think the need is and then creating a thing and then publicizing the thing and then not realizing that that wasn't the thing that people needed to begin with. Mm -hmm. Some of what they needed was just to be heard. Yeah. And we do sometimes respond to the squeaky wheel. So the people who know how to advocate for themselves are not shy about their opinions and just, you know, Mm -hmm. like one of the worst things you can do sometimes, or, you know, perhaps it's fun sometimes is listen, watch the click it and fix it notifications. Oh yeah. Um, there was a whole show on NPR on, I think it was a, this American life might've been another show, but it was all about how the click it and fix it programs Mm -hmm. are where people, um, rat out their neighbors, Mm -hmm. like where they're showing more incidences of racism Mm -hmm. because the white, you know, um, whatever neighbors looking out the window and sees someone of color walking down the street and they start reporting them on click it and fix. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then how how that system that's meant to serve the community gets corrupted mm-hmm. by yep. that that force or how local school committee meetings have started to digress into this because they they have open um, time at the end of the meeting and they've now been derailed by people who want to get up and you know anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists and mm-hmm. they derail the process Mm-hmm. Because they want to talk out their, you know, yeah. conspiracy theories about birds not being real. And it's, th- but those are the people that are not shy about their opinions. Mm-hmm. So then how do you, how do you see connecting with people who feel um, disengaged in that way? I mean, that's the kind of work that you do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it, there's, it's not. Um, an immediate fix. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's going back to the trust thing, you know, um, there's a lot of trust building to happen before you can expect anyone to be honest with you right. and share um, with you their needs. Right. And when, when sharing your needs could get you in trouble, could get you deported, could right. get you any number of things. Um, I think that the trust building part is the, that's the first thing we have to, to address right. and, you know, some of that is, again, like communication in, in languages just, that people yeah. speak and understand. Right. Um, intentional, intentional, right? Not just like Google right. Translate. We need intentional interpreting services right. uh, and translation of things that are going on in our city, city council meetings, all kinds of different things. Right. Um, like, could we have the ticker tape at the bottom be in multiple languages? Like, is that even a thing? Well, I mean, the city in the past for for um, a number of important 
meetings or committee meetings or commission meetings have have hired um, uh, Danielle to 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 do um, translation. Uh, what I can't remember what they're called now. Like they're like language access channels on Zoom, yes. so you can tune into the language you speak. Yeah. Um, which I think is great. I mean, I think that's one of the innovations that's come out of the pandemic of right. having to adapt to the, the remote um, format in a way where we've been able to increase right. uh, inclusivity. Right. Um, but now it's just a, a question of, you know, widening. How do we widen? And, right. you know, I think that's one of the things going back to the trust is that we can't just build it and just believe, you know, if you build it, they will come, right? right. Like you have to you have to create community engagement, create buy-in um uh, like i think we talked about this before but you know there's there's some there's some folks who come in with um a real apprehension around interacting with the government or who come from countries where it's not safe to 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 share your opinions about the government or what um you perceive as something that's not going right or well um so there's a lot of i think community engagement and um that has to happen. The city has to really prioritize, I think, and, yeah. and the school systems as well, and, and yes. business yep. business community as well, um, as a whole, to build that trust um, and build that uh, the build the tools to show people that you know we're going to reach out. We're right. going to right. Um, we care about you. <laughs> You're a part of this community. And unfortunately, I think <clears throat> sometimes, um, and this is just my my take, um, this is not my sphere of expertise because I'm more heavily involved with arts organizations, but some of the cultural organizations are leaned on very, very heavily to do some of that explanation and connection um, in a way that more formal institutions like our city leaders or city organizations perhaps should be doing mm-hmm. more of. Mm-hmm. And there's like, you know, these are really small organizations. Sometimes it's like one person. Yeah. And um, they do a lot in the community, but, and they're, and they're well received from like a standpoint of visibility, but they can't do everything and they yeah. shouldn't be doing everything. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think there's, I mean, from just a resourcing perspective, yes. um, we need to be really in- intentional in thinking about building the these community resources that are going to enhance the social fabric right. of our connectivity across right. the city. You right. know, arts, uh, music, culture, um, food, sustainable agriculture—all of these things. And um, I think it, it kind of speaks to where where we could really go you know i mean yeah. I, I see that that's, that's an exciting thing for me is to see you know all of these um great institutions that we have where could we take this city <laughs> you know yeah. like if we if we found ways to really and we're i mean i think we're doing it we're, we're starting to and i think there's there's um a lot more that we can be doing and i think yeah. that's an exciting thing and um to be seeing and feeling that there's that that the, there's that opportunity, but you're right. I mean, I think there's been some siloed, um, you know, from nonprofits to the business community to yes. our city, our, yeah. our council to our school committee to our schools and charters. Right? Yep. Like there's there's um, 
a lot of kind of siloed um, community building that's that's happening yeah. and, and finding a way to kind of um, sew those all together. Resource share, yeah. best practice share, mm -hmm. talk about common challenges. Um, I know with arts, or, you know, my pro background is arts organizations. They always are reinventing the wheel and they're always doing so much more with so much less. Yeah. And um, they're always understaffed. And they're, they're usually like even, you know, um, the vision that my partner and I have for, you know, business opportunities moving forward has a lot to do with like bringing in lots of different voices, mm -hmm. age mm -hmm. groups, different people of color, you know, because we don't think we have all the answers, but we want to encourage and facilitate that kind yeah. of conversation happening. And that's that's where our expertise comes in. But that's also we're open to the learning and the changing of the language and the changing of the narrative and the changing of like, what is leadership? How do we do that? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do we want Malden to look going forward? Um, I lived in the city of Boston for a very long time and I was super, I was like, almost like, I want to vote in this election. It was so exciting to mm -hmm. me to see mm -hmm. all this, all the women, women of color. And um, I think it's great that it was like, it, you know, it's like, it's time, yeah. like it's time. Because yeah. mm -hmm. we need, like having different, different voices and different backgrounds, it only enhances um, perspective, it enhances and enriches our lives. You know, the pleasure of this podcast and the reason that I, I continue doing it, even though <laughs> I don't get paid to do it, is that it's, it's like thrilling to talk to different people and mm -hmm. like, you know, some people I know a little bit and others it's just I'm getting to meet for the first time. But hearing people's stories and backgrounds and perspectives like always makes me, you know, just, you know, come alive. It, it's so it's so um, uplifting. Yeah. Because in the end, it even doesn't matter how different we are. Yeah. It's cool that we're different. I think at least. I think I mean, it's um. this is one of the things I, I, I found that it. I, I loved about running was being able to talk to people for no reason other than yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm running for a city council. I mean, just being able to talk to people. I, I mean, it, it, um, it gets, I think it just, it, it's hard. It gets hard just trying to meet people and talk to people yeah. without being connected somehow already yes. with, um, an interest or a hobby or a yes. group that you're part of. Um, and it's really easy to just not talk to anyone who is different than you because right. you're finding spaces of synergy, right? Like right. things you enjoy doing, people that enjoy doing those same things with you. Um, and that was one of the things I really appreciated about this was this experience of running was getting a chance to really meet a lot of people that I probably not, wouldn't necessarily right. run, run across or talk to a whole lot um, if not for – this connection that we share of living in the same neighborhood, right. <laughs> Ward 8, you know? That's um, what dogs are good for. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. You can talk to random people about, we ain't just done talking about dog stuff, but yep. sometimes they throw information out. Like We had an older couple that lived in the neighborhood who always saw us out walking the dog and be like, you live in that house that has a Christmas lights all year <laughs> round in the back. And I'm like, 
you're watching our house, okay. But it, you know, it's meant in like, a, they're home all the time. Of course they see the lights. Of course yeah. they know where we live and they mm -hmm. know we have the dog. Mm -hmm. But it is, it's fun to like um, get to engage because a lot of the times we do, it has to be transactional. It's yeah, purposeful yeah. in that way. So mm -hmm. it's more, it's easier and perhaps it's easier to build that foundational trust thing mm -hmm. when you don't have... Uh, it, it doesn't have to be transactional. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it was cool. Do you have any um, any things that you'd like to point to coming up in the future? What's next for you? Oh. you still planning your next steps. <laughs> Do you have any um, fundraising stuff with your organization that you want to promote at all? Do you guys do a year end or? Um, I mean, I just, so with, with uh, Youth Build just, just to start, I literally just started with them about three weeks ago. So oh, well, I'm brand congratulations. new. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm sure they do have one um, that I'm not aware of at the moment, but um, they do fantastic work and Youth Build just to start also serves Malden. So that's the other exciting thing is Great. that I'll be doing much more work here. Um, with the youth program. What are the age groups? Um, it's 16 to 24. Okay. Yep. Um, uh, so, so yeah, there's probably a fundraiser coming up maybe um, for the organization. Um, but, you know, I, I think I would just say not necessarily about organizations I care about, but, you know, for any of your listeners to find um, – organizations they really care about, missions that they yes. care about and support them because there's just so much need for um, the work that's going on across the sector for so many reasons. And um, they don't get funded and resourced, to your point, right? Absolutely. They don't get funded or resourced appropriately. And so they count on people who who really care about these these issues to support them. So, you know, if anything, I would say... Find a cause that you care about and, and and find ways to support them. And it doesn't always have to be at the end of the year. Find ways to get involved yeah. um, in, in your community or, or elsewhere. Absolutely. And there's always – there's so, so many easy, easy ways. Like um, one of my guests, we talked about how um, sort of the, the hit you get from being altruistic, the way that, mm -hmm. you know, it – it's self-satisfying in some ways, but it also you're benefiting someone else and that, you know, do you feel guilty about the fact that you're, <laughs> you're feeling good about doing the thing for the organization, volunteering your time, mm -hmm. you know, shopping locally, supporting a local artist, yeah. buying books from a small press or, a, you know, a, a small bookstore, using your library instead of sending things from Amazon. Mm -hmm. Not that, you know, of course we are. Yeah. <laughs> bravo to anyone who doesn't use Amazon, yeah. but there's still things that I buy from Amazon. And, yeah. Well, it's, um, just, it's kind of the mindfulness exercise of just yes. having, being able to be mindful about the choices you make and, and how they impact right. the world or the people around you. Right. Um, and they can seem small, but they're, they, they, they add up, you know? Absolutely. Well, thank you for all the work that you've doing and for your generosity of conversation. And I really it was a pleasure speaking with you offline. You are, you have so many irons in the fire. I hope you um, continue to pursue things in Malden because I'd vote for you again. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, and I definitely I have to write, 
get that. I wonder if I probably already recycled your flyer to see where you had the cat in there or not. <laughs> What's I, the cat's name? Cookie Dough. Oh, is Cookie Dough a torty? Tortoise uh, shell? Um, she's a calico. Calico. Yeah. 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 Very nice. She's a beaut. <laughs> we love her. <laughs> well, I wish you happy holiday season and um, uh, thank you again. This was a pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure, pleasure here. Thank you, Felicia. Okay. Have a good one. You too. Bye. The path. The snow is a blanket that slows the world down. A fresh new start. As a child, I would awaken early and get dressed in my snow boots, hat, gloves, and scarf, anxiously await to be the first one to make virgin footprints, owning the path before me. I breathe in sharpness and exhale determination. Does the world expand and contract with me? Snow is one of the multitude of ways that water shows up in the world. Our bodies are mostly water. Our essence is floating and flowing. Water moves through us and with us. I had a massage therapist once that would only wear white. She believed white is the absence of color and by wearing white would soak up all of the other colors for healing. Right now, white shows up as an unexpected guest, paralyzing fear and rage, staring back at me with no recognition of who I usually am. I'm afraid to look directly at it. The path is blank. Is this opportunity? White is the horizon where no one waits for me. No children, the last in the line of pain and promise. White is the fascia that sticks to the muscles in my body like a sloppy application of Mod Podge. White is the endless amount of goop, creams, balms, salves, and ointments I put on my hands, legs, and back to ease the pain. Blankness comes to mind when I want to say something witty or charming. My brain in a fog. The words fade. I must find the will to begin again. Forge a new path. Special thanks this year go to my social media maven uh, definitely a co-producer and someone who continuously keeps me creatively um, sparking and someone who is a pleasure to work with, Rachel Lento. I'd also like to say, uh, say a special thanks to Sully Banger for my um, making my inconsistencies sound consistent and for his excellent work as our sound editor this year. He jumped in midstream and I really appreciate it. As always, I'd like to thank the Malden Cultural Council for their um, generous grant that helped keep this podcast flowing. And I'd like to thank all of the guests that I had on for their time, their energy, their creativity, for sharing parts of their lives and for allowing me to get a window in and learn about more about them. I'd also like to thank, um, obviously, my family and friends who occasionally tune in and give me um, some feedback. Um, we have some, hopefully, some good things coming for next year. And um, I want to thank again all the listeners. So happy holidays. Uh, stay healthy. Wear your masks. Get vaccinated. 
Hi Felicia is produced by Felicia Ryan, and she retains all broadcast rights and copyrights to this program. Theme music provided by Stephanie Griffin. Technical support by Heather McCormick. Our sound editing is done by Sully Banger. Social media maven, previous guest, and my online content guru is Rachel Lento. Hi Felicia is supported in part by a generous grant from the Malden Cultural Council and recorded in cooperation with UMA Urban Media Arts in downtown Malden. You can find Hi Felicia on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, and most platforms a podcasts are found. Please take a moment to like, download, write a review, and share this program. You are our ears. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Hi Felicia or our guest or how to support this podcast, you can visit our Facebook page, our Instagram page, or www.feliciaryan.com, which is F-E-L-I-C-I-A-R-Y-A-N. And again, thanks for listening.